This is a reminder you're listening to the delayed broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show live and participate in the quiz and the prizes and all the other fun things that happen on Faith FM Breakfast Show, then simply download the Faith FM app available on Apple or Android platforms. Um, we're into our 20 million movement Bible study, so let's get, uh, let's, uh, turn back over to Daniel chapter 6, and, um, I'm going to get you to read for us verse 10 again, please. Okay. So Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10 is our 20 million movement Bible study today. We're going to be looking at Daniel's prayer. Um, and we're going to be looking at it in a fair bit of detail because this was not just some random, ordinary prayer that he was praying at this particular time. He was praying for a very specific reason about something very specific. And in fact, the prayer that he was praying at this particular time period of his life has been recorded for us. Ooh. A lot of people don't realize that. That's very cool. It is very cool indeed. Okay, so let's go to, read for us verse 10, please. Verse 10. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Okay, before we get into the details of this, we find that Daniel was not the only person in the Bible who's recorded as praying three times a day. In fact, if you go to the Psalms, let me see if I can just find this Psalm for you. And this is actually a Psalm of David. And, you know, while I'm turning there, you might say, well, praying three times a day, that's, um, you know, that's kind of, uh, that's a fair chunk, wouldn't you say? It's there a specific reason why it was three times a day? Well, David says this in Psalms 55 and verse 17, Evening and morning and at noon I will pray okay. and cry aloud, yeah. and he will hear my voice. Nice. So there is no, um, what should we say, requirement in the Bible that specifies how many times you should pray. Some religions have a requirement. You know, for instance, in Islam you are required to pray five times a day. That's... Okay. But the Bible doesn't give any requirement. The Bible just says, you know, you should have uh, times for formal prayer where you actually, you know, do what Daniel did where he goes to his room and he opens his window toward Jerusalem. Um, Jesus talks about, you know, going into your closet or into a quiet place and mm. praying there. Yeah, I mean, praying five times a day isn't necessarily a bad thing. But I mean, no, when, when, no, you're, no, when you're instructed no, that thing. you must pray five times a day, that's... Well, that's that's yeah. just that's not our religion. That's not what you find in the Bible. So that's uh, the Muslim religion, not ours. If you go to, um, but having said that, I do admire it about them. Yeah, I no, think it's, it's true. I think I it's think, great yeah, what it's they do. Awesome. I think it's fantastic. Uh, if you if you look at the Bible, the Bible talks about you know times of formal prayer, which is you know where you're really connecting with God. In an undisturbed environment. And there's also times where the Bible talks about pray without ceasing, which is the conversation you have with God throughout the day, just being connected with God. Yeah. And living connected with God. Those are two very different kinds of prayers. Definitely. And both of them are just as important as the other. Sometimes people are like, yeah, 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 I pray all the time. I'm always praying. And yet they're never having formal prayer. And it's a little bit like having, you know, a husband and wife relationship where you know, you are living in the same house. You bump into each other at various times in the day. Um, and there, But there is a difference between bumping into each other and having a vital connection. Mm. You know, I can come home from work, walk in the door. Hi, honey, how's it going? As I'm walking out the other door 
because I've got things that I need to do in the backyard. And, you know, she'll reply and we'll sort of, that's bumping into each other. Yeah. Or I can walk in. I can sit down and I can say, tell me about your day for the next five minutes. Mm. That's connecting. That's a vital connection. There's a difference between bumping and connecting. And the praying without ceasing is bumping and that's important. We need to be bumping into God all day long. Yeah, and it's the same with any relationship, really. Like, if you want to put in the time and effort to have a relationship, a connection with somebody, you have a balance of both. You have a balance where, you know, sometimes you'll just message that person for the random sake because you're thinking about them and you'll be like, oh, hey, how you doing? But then other times you'll be like, let's catch up. Let's go get lunch together. Let's go actually talk and connect about how our lives are going. And there has to be a balance between both to have a proper, sustainable relationship with anybody. Absolutely. And it's exactly the same with God. You need to have both kinds of prayer. You need to have prayer without ceasing, which is where you just talk to God randomly during the day. And you need to have prayer where you actually focus on connecting. Mm. Yeah. And this is the kind of prayer that we're talking about here. This is the this is the focused connecting prayer that we're talking about that David and uh, Daniel both participate in. And they both do it three times a day. Now, that's a fair chunk. A lot of people would say, well, you know, we live in a very um, high-pressure society today, right? Mm. And so it would be a lot more challenging for a person in today's society to set aside time for prayer three times a day than in the agrarian society they lived in in the time of, say, Daniel and David, right? Totally still possible to do, but difficult in the society that we have today. It's true, but fully possible. Until you take into consideration, what was Daniel's job? Yeah, Prime Minister. Of what? <laughs> the world, kind of. Yeah, kind of the world. <laughs> kind of sort of the world, so I can um, imagine right, that right, 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 right. What was, what was David's job? Yeah, okay, I see your point. They're busy. They're busy men, okay? Absolutely. They had lots to do. There is no way in a million years are you going to meet more than 10 people in your entire lifetime who live in a higher pressure environment than these guys lived in. That's yeah, true. That's my guess. But they still I took the time guess. to do it, though. That's like my guess. And if they can take the time to do it, you can do the same. Surely we can. Absolutely. That's the lesson we get out of this passage right here about their dedication to spending time with God in prayer. Okay, so he is, uh, he is praying. He is opening his window toward Jerusalem, toward Judea, and toward the holy city. Yesterday, we discovered why. Why is he doing that? Mm. Because there's a really chronic verse about it <laughs> from Second chronic. Chronicles. Let's let's review it very quickly. This was the de- this was this was when the Second Chronicles chapter six. This was when Solomon had just finished rebuilding the temple. He was dedicating the temple, and he recognized that there was the possibility of the Israelite people turning away from God and ending up in captivity in a foreign land. Mm. And so he prays this prayer. Uh, can you read for us Second Chronicles chapter 6 and um, verse 38? When I scroll there, I, scroll, I scroll, can. Scroll, 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 scroll. See, I, always, I told you paper is faster. No, I like my phone. Verse 38. Paper is faster. I've got it now. I'm ready. Verse 38. If they turn to you with their whole heart and soul in the land of their captivity and pray toward the land you gave to their ancestors, toward this city you have chosen and towards this temple I have built to honor your name. Okay. Uh, Keep going. Then hear their prayers and their petitions from heaven where you live and uphold their cause. Forgive your people who have sinned against you. So Solomon specifically tells in his prayer, 
he instructs his people. Yes. What to do if they end up in captivity in a foreign land because of turning away from God? Now we come down, you know, another six, eight hundred years further down the track and we find they have ended up in captivity as a result of not serving God. Daniel was a keen student of the Bible. We're going to find out more about that in just a moment. But he was a keen student of the Bible and he reads this in the Bible and he's like, okay, here we are told what to do if we find ourselves in captivity in a foreign land as a result of not serving God. Okay, so now we know what to do. We pray towards Judea and towards Jerusalem and towards the temple that is there. And the Bible says that God will hear our prayer or that that Solomon asked that God would hear our prayer and we would receive forgiveness. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Okay, so now we're going to flick back over to Daniel chapter 6. And if you could actually read for us Daniel chapter 5, verse 31, and chapter 6, verse 1, please. Scrolling. Yep. 5, verse 31. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. And verse 1, chapter 6. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. Okay, and of course it moves on there to talk about Daniel and to talk about what takes place there. We know that Darius only ruled for two years in Babylon under Cyrus, and the question that goes through our minds is, you know, obviously the context of this passage, or I I guess the observation that we see here, the context of this passage reveals to us that the events of chapter 6 and the lion's den take place very soon after Darius comes to power. These are events that are going to take place in the first year of his reign. Mm. Probably in the first months of his reign. (laughs) Hectic. Okay, so now I want you to go over to Daniel chapter 8. And you might say, well, we're skipping chapter 7. That's a long way ahead. No, we're actually going backwards. Not chapter 8, chapter 9. We're going backwards. And you might say, well, how can you go backwards by going forwards? And that's because, you know, we're Western people (laughs) and uh, Middle Eastern people, you know, from, uh, you know, this particular era in history did not write and did not correlate chronologically. Hmm. The Bible is not chronological. The Bible is thematic. And so the Bible begins with the law. That's the books of Moses. Then it continues with the history. That's, you know, your you know, Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, etc. Joshua, Judges. Then it goes to songs. So you've got Psalms, you've got Ecclesiastes, you've got Job, um, all those kind of songs in there. And Job was probably written, you know, during the time of Moses. We don't really know when that was written, but very, very early on. Then you go to the prophets. This is how it's divided up. Mm. Law, history, songs, and prophets. That's your Old Testament right there. And so the book of Daniel, likewise, goes history and then prophecy. Yep. And some of the prophecies took place during the history. But they are in the second half of the book, even though they take place in the first half of the book. Hmm. It would be interesting to put together and even, the book of Daniel together chronologically. And even like within within those stories, within the, that order of certain things, the way that they would tell stories is totally different to the way we would. Because we have our introduction, we have our paragraphs, and then we have our conclusion. And the conclusion is where we put all the big important stuff right at the end. And that's, that's kind right. of makes the big point to finish with. But they would do like introduction, context, big stuff in the middle, 
context yes. at the end. Chiastic structure. Yeah, which is also not how we read things. That is not how we... That's right. And unless you understand the uh, chiastic structure, you kind of miss a lot of what is actually spoken because you'll be looking for the big conclusion at the end where it actually comes in the middle. Yep. A uh, good thing to understand in being able to understand the Bible. But anyway, if we go to chapter 9 and verse 1, please, Gemma. It was the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede, the son of... Yep, he's... F, uh, mm, eh. Ahasuerus. Hey, whoa! Otherwise known as Astyages. Astyages. Cool. Who became yeah. king of the Babylonians. Mm-hmm. Astyages. Yeah, we talked about him under when we were talking about Cyrus. It's a cool name. It's, it's a very cool name. I like his uh, grandfather's name even better, Cyraxeres. So, say that again, Cyraxeres. I don't even know whether that's the correct pronunciation, <laughs> but I pronounce it Cyraxeres. So cool. Yeah, they, they'd certainly had names back in the day. They, <laughs> they knew how to make names. Okay, so here we have uh, Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, the seed of the Medes, uh, made king of the realm of the Chaldeans. And which year of his reign is this? During the first year. Okay, so this is the same time period in which Daniel prays to Jerusalem and to Judea and to the temple, facing the temple, right? So chapter 9 is happening at the same time chapter 6 is. Uh-huh. Cool. Okay. So these two chapters go together. Yes. And in chapter 6, we've got Daniel praying. Mm-hmm. He ends up in the lion's den as a result of that. We're going to cover that more in detail as we go through the f- further through the week. Mm-hmm. But here we find out specifically why it is that Daniel is praying and what it is that he's praying about. Would you like to read for us chapter 9 and verse 2, please? During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. Okay. Now, this is interesting because what you've got is Jeremiah lives a long way from Babylon. Yes. He lives in Egypt. Which is in Africa. Which is exactly. He's in Africa. I know that now. Yes. He's in Africa. (laughs) Daniel's in Asia. Yes. It's kind of hard to wrap your head around, but he is. He's in Asia. A little bit, yes. The Middle East. We can say the Middle East. Um, But Jeremiah's all the way over in Africa, and these two prophets are contemporaries of each other. Hmm. Down there in Egypt, the Israelites who have, you know, escaped to Egypt, so to speak, rather than going to Babylon, have formed themselves a community down on Elephantine Island. They have set up their own synagogue. They've set up their own temple down there Hmm. uh, where they, you know, propose to continue worshipping God. And Jeremiah is there with them to give them spiritual guidance and kind of to prophesy against them a lot because they're doing the wrong thing and a lot of the things that they do. But that's another story. One of the interesting things that Jeremiah states, and you'll find this in Jeremiah chapter 25 and verse 11, It says, This whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Hmm. Now, somehow, what Jeremiah has written gets all the way through to Daniel. Maybe when Jeremiah finishes writing the book of Jeremiah, he's like, let me make a copy for Daniel. He needs to have this. He's kind of prime minister of the Babylonian Empire, so he needs to have a copy of this. And he sends him a copy of the book. We don't know. But somehow or other, we know that Daniel gets his hands on a copy of the book of Jeremiah. Isn't it cool how we can read what Jeremiah wrote? 
that what Daniel read what Jeremiah wrote, but then we can read what Daniel wrote about what Jeremiah wrote. Yeah, 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 absolutely. How cool is that? Oh, it's very cool. You get these confirmation, and of course they're, they're 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 contemporary prophets. Now, by the time that Daniel is reading this, he's a very old man, so there's every likelihood that Jeremiah has now died. Right. And so maybe it has filtered through to Daniel by people who are just traveling between the Jewish community on Elephantine Island and the Jewish community in Babylon. Who knows what's taking place here? But we do know this. A copy of the book of Jeremiah has arrived in Babylon and Daniel gets his hands on it and he knows that the 70-year captivity is about to come to an end. Mm. Because he reads that and he's like, okay, I know what date I was taken captive. And I was the first lot of captives taken captive. And he starts to calculate that through. And he goes, you know what? Four and a half, five years time, this prophecy is going to come to an end. Yeah, captivity finishes. And yet he looks around and there is absolutely no indication that the Persians have even the remotest thought or idea of letting the Jewish people go back to Judah and rebuild their temple. Yeah. Is not even on the horizon. And so as a result of this, you know, he reads this and he's like, well, we need to be praying about this. It's not going to happen if we don't pray. So we know, we know this. He has a copy of Chronicles. Yes. He now has a copy of Jeremiah as well. Yep, piece them together. He puts the, the two together. Jeremiah says 70 years. It's not going to happen if people don't pray. Solomon said, pray towards the city and towards the country and towards the, um, the temple. Mm-hmm. And so he does that. And then if you would like to read for us, verse 3, please. Chapter 9, verse 3. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. I also wore rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. Okay, so now we go back to the thoughts that we're getting out of Daniel chapter 6. He is praying with his window open Mm -hmm. in public where people can see it and probably even hear it. In defiance to a law. Not only that, but one could put the argument up that he is committing treason. Ooh, that's heavy. Now, you could say that his prayer and his devotion to his God is a form of treason because the law says, no, you're only allowed to worship the emperor. Yes. That's it. Yes. But not only is he just praying to another god... He is praying that his nation will be reestablished, Oof. which could also be seen as a form of treason. Yeah, and this kingdom. And, and you this, know, we, we yeah. face this kind of thing here in Australia. We don't like ghettos. We like everybody to come here and just become Aussies, you know, just, <laughs> to just blend in. And, and, and Daniel's not doing a good job of it. More about this in just a moment. The Lesser Light Collective. Sleeping in the lion's den Conspiracy of evil men Could find no fault in me For their pride and jealousy They threw me in the lion's den They said, oh king, won't you make a decree There'll be no prayer to man or God but thee From thirty days now hence the guilty's recompense will be sleeping in that lion's den. Well, I got down on my knees to pray, to 
Just like I always did three times each day For my petition and my plea They said I was guilty And they threw me in that client's den Distress and grief Well he labored for to rescue me But no earthly king can save That old lion's dance a grave No escaping from that lion's dance And at last he said there is no hope for me But for the God I serve continually And a stone was brought and laid At the mouth of that lion's cave
That was Lesser Light Collective with O Daniel. Daniel and the Lion's Den. That's the story we are studying Very right good. Now. So let's jump back into our Bible study for now and let's look at where we're up to. This is all we got so far. We find that Daniel 9 is a part of Daniel 6. Happening at the same time. Because Daniel 9 is the prayer that is being prayed in Daniel 6. Very cool. Now, there's one more twist to this story. Oof. Okay, so here's what we've found so far. Daniel is in captivity in Babylon. He's the prime minister of the Babylonian Empire. He gets a copy of Second Chronicles and recognizes that he needs to be praying uh, for the restoration of the temple, praying towards Jerusalem and so forth. Yes. So he's doing that. He also gets a prophecy, or a copy of the prophecy of Jeremiah, which is one of his contemporaries. And it's like almost like maybe you know, two prophets writing to each other. I don't know, but <laughs> um, he gets a copy of the prophecy of Jeremiah and he recognizes that the time period for their captivity is nearly over. Mm-hmm. It's nearly time for them to be released and to go back to the promised land. And so he puts these two together and is like, okay, we need to get serious about praying about this. But there is one more prophecy that is super confusing, that is almost contradictory to what he has been reading here. Right. That's in chapter 8. Ooh. So here comes your spanner. Chapter 8 and verse 14 is a prophecy that Daniel receives. And, of course, he receives this in the third year of Belshazzar. Nice. So he's actually received this a little bit earlier. Mm. So he already has this prophecy when he discovers Jeremiah's prophecy and, of course, Solomon's prayer. So it's like a puzzle. And then he's pieced yeah, all yeah, these yeah, yeah. This is gonna, that he already this, knows. This is going to mess with his head big time. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Chapter 8, verse 14, please. The other replied, it will take... 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the temple will be made right again. Okay, evenings and mornings is simply a way of saying days. You know, you find in creation, the evening and the morning with the first day, the evening and the morning with the second day. So that's yeah. 2,300 days, and then the sanctuary, the temple, will be made right again, or will be cleansed. Mm. So he's got a number of different options that he's got right now. If he looks at the temple which is on earth and he goes, okay, that's the one that's back in Jerusalem. Yes, it needs to be put right again because it's a pile of rubble. Yes. And he's like, 2,300 days. That's about, from when this prophecy is given, about seven years or so. Mm. That doesn't sound like such a bad prophecy, right? Right. So you would, it would give you uh, cause for celebration, don't you think? Um. Yeah. Except that the prophecy has another a number of other specifications. Yes. And so within this time period, before the temple is put right, there are a number of things that are going to take place. First of all, you're going to have the rise of the Medes and the Persians and the Greeks mm-hmm. and the Romans mm-hmm. and the Antichrist. That's a lot. That's a lot <laughs> to pack into six and a half, seven years. Yes. That is an enormous amount, which means that you're going to have, if that, is, if that is literal time, you're going to have worldwide disruption on a level that our world has never seen before. Now I see where you're going with this. All right, so he has another alternative, doesn't he? Yes. Because he has another contemporary prophet by the name of Ezekiel. Mm-hmm. And Ezekiel has been doing, he lives in Babylon. So we know these guys you know, are in close contact with each other. Mm-hmm. And he's been doing these acted out prophecies. You know, he'll act them out in the marketplace. <laughs> and he'll do it for 40 days because, you know, it'll be a 40 year prophecy. 
a day symbolizing a year. There it is. And so if Daniel goes, okay, six and a half, seven years and all that's going to happen, that's not possible. Well, the other alternative is 2,300 years. That's a long time. But fully possible for that many empires, world empires. To yes, but there's a major problem with that. That means that his temple that he loves yeah. is not going to be built in his lifetime. It's going to be built in our lifetime, not his. Yeah. You know, that's a big gap in history. Huge. And so that would make you pretty worried as well. <laughs> okay, so then Gabriel comes to explain things, and I can imagine his relief. Like, Gabriel's turned up. He's going to explain to me, you know, what the, uh, what the confusion is here all about. And so Gabriel explains exactly who the Medes and the Persians are, exactly who the Greeks are, exactly who the Romans are, exactly who the Antichrist is, exactly how long the prophecy is, exactly what happens at the end of the prophecy, but never gives a starting date. Thank, that's helpful. So now, that's helpful. He's in, yeah. so now he's in trouble, isn't he? <laughs> And super confused. So he comes along and unpacks everything so, for him, answers all of the questions that he wants to know about what's going to happen and how it's going to work, except he doesn't give him the date. Yeah. Ugh. It's like that Marvel movie about Thanos. <laughs> Gets halfway through and it ends, and you've got to wait two years to the next one. <laughs> but that was only a movie. This is actually a real thing. This is a prophecy. True. And, and it ends. And he's got to wait until the next installment, until Gabriel comes back to finish it. <laughs> Okay, so verse uh, chapter 8, verse 27, please. Verse 27. And then I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for several days. Afterward, I got up and performed my duties for the king, but I was greatly troubled by the vision and could not understand it. As you can imagine, he would. Fair enough. You're either going to have four world empires and the Antichrist all come and go <laughs> in the space of six and a half years, Ooh. or... It's all going to happen so far in the distant future that it's like not even, it's just like immensely discouraging. Either way, that's a lot to process. <laughs> a lot to process. <laughs> then he gets the prophecy from Jeremiah. Yes. And you can almost feel him breathe a sigh of relief, kind of. Sort of. Because it says 70 years. He's like, okay, that's, that's, that's a bit sooner. And the temple is going to be rebuilt. But he's got this conflict with this 2,300-year prophecy going through his mind. And he's like, we, you start to see now why his prayer becomes so important and so urgent because this has to be untangled. Mm. He's yet to receive one more prophecy, which is 11 through 12, in which he's given a lot more information about that 2,300-year prophecy, but that's for further on in our study. Okay, so this is where Daniel is at, and this is what he prays for. Let's, uh, let's take a moment to look at some of the key points of this prayer. Um, verse 3, please, again. What chapter are we in? 9. We're still in 9? Yes. Verse 3. You should be able to read my mind. I'm trying. It's, okay. it's, there's a lot in there. I'm looking at chapter 9. You should know this. <laughs> so I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. I also wore rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. Yeah. Let me give it give it to you from the real translation. Oh, again. <laughs> I set my face to the Lord my God to seek by prayer and supplication. Same, so that's a cool word. Same same thing. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. No. Yep. Supplication is translated request. Is Yours just as pleading. That's requesting. You know, you put yeah, it, yeah. Yeah, lame. I mean, it's the same word, it's the same thing, but supplication has some, you know, heavier 
context to it, I guess. Absolutely. Fine. The heavier heavier Bible. Fine. (laughs) Fine. All right. Um, Okay. So, he's going to make a request in this prayer. Yes. What you're going to find is that you can read all the way down to verse 17, and he makes no request. What? No request in the first... uh, up, up until verse 17, there is no no request. But it says... He's going to make a request. Yeah. All right. So he's going to do something before he makes his request. And Ooh. that's in verse 4. I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession. Yeah. Confession comes before asking. Oh, nice. So down to verse 17, he's going to do confession. And then when you get to verse 17, he's going to make his request. This is the Lord's Prayer. My later form.
It's not just about the manger where the baby lay. It's not all about the angels who sing for him that day. It's not all about the shepherds on the bright and shining star. It's not all about the wise men who traveled from afar. It's about the cross. It's about my sin. It's about how Jesus came to be born once so that we could be born again. It's about the stone that was rolled away So that you and I could have real life someday It's about the cross It's not just about the good things in this life
team here at Faith FM want to encourage you to share God's love with those around you, to stay positive and to stay connected in this virus season. Check on your neighbours, especially elderly neighbours, as they may be unable to visit the shops or see family due to quarantines. A note under the door or a letter in the mailbox works too if you want to maintain your distance. Little things like this make a huge difference to someone who might be struggling to get by. Are drugs or alcohol a problem in your life? Alcohol Drugs Assist, or ADA, is a 12-step recovery program designed to help you escape the hold of addictions in a friendly and judgment-free environment. ADA meets regularly, and if you'd like to attend, give Peter a call or text on 0487 907 879. That's 0487 907 879. That was The Corner Room with Isaiah 52. You're listening to The Breakfast Show. We have come to question of the daytime. Very relevant question has come in through from a listener. Gemma, what if, what's our question of the day? Daniel would have been breaking the law again for the remaining of the month after he got out of the lion's den. So does that mean the Medo-Persian law was changed or the unlikeliness Daniel was thrown into the den every day? I would say... That neither was the case. Ooh. I would say the law was not changed, 
because it was the law and the Medes, law of the Medes and the Persians that could not, by their constitution, it could not be changed. Yeah, once a law, always a law. And we know that when we come down to the time of Queen Esther, which was you know a hundred years or so later, mm-hmm. that was still part of the constitution of the Persian Empire. That the law could not be changed. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so that remains. So therefore, I would argue that, and of course we don't know the answer to this question, we're speculating here, but I'm going to speculate along a number of different lines uh, based on historical evidence. Um, We know, we, we would assume that the law was not changed because it could not be changed because the Constitution did not change. Yes. Therefore, Daniel would have been repeatedly in breach of the law, as the questioner has rightly observed, after coming out of the lion's den. So were they going to keep killing him? So was he continually being thrown into the lion's den? Did he spend every night in the lion's den for the whole month? Wow. Once again, I would say the answer to that question is no. Mm. And let me share with you the reasons why. If we look at British law as an example, there have been many instances of people who have survived being hung. So under British law, uh, hanging used to be the way that people were executed. Wow. In fact, I have two uh, references here, uh, John Lee and Joseph Samuel. John Lee was hung three times in 1885 and survived all three of them. Hung three Joseph times. Joseph Samuel was also hung three times and survived all three of them. They didn't do a very good job, did they? No, they did a very, very poor job. Um, and... Uh, the way it was viewed by the British legal system in those days, you know, because both of these guys ended up getting, eventually ended up getting off. Hmm. Um, and historically, the way that it was viewed when you survived execution, and this is why they eventually brought in the, uh, the wording, hung by the neck until dead. Ah, uh, okay. That's why they added the bit until dead. So they found a loophole. Because it didn't always work. In fact, these three guys are exceptions because they both got hung three times. There's a whole bunch who only got hung once and survived it. Yep. Okay, but the the, the view was like this, was that survival was seen as a judgment of God and a proclamation of innocence (laughs) by God. And they're kind of like, well, if God is saying that uh, this person shouldn't die, then we better not kill them. Except they were hung three times. Except they did try. Again. And, ag- and, and after again. three yeah. times, uh, after three <laughs> times, like, yeah, okay. I feel like you'd give up after that. You'd be three like, ta- right, that's, three's, that's three's, enough. Three's enough. God <laughs> wants this person to live, so therefore they will live. And so this is in a society that really does recognize the divine intervention of God. Mm. Now, in the Persian society, did they recognize the intervention of God? Did Darius recognize the intervention of God? Yes, he did. And in his proclamation, he makes that very, very clear at the end of the chapter. My assumption would be that he would be in a very good legal position to state this person has been sentenced to death. The sentence has been carried out by throwing him into the den of lions. He has been rescued from the den of lions and pronounced innocent by his God. Therefore, God has let him off the hook in this case. And we are not in a position, even though this is the Persian law, we are not in a position to um, go against a case in which God makes an exception. So if God has made an exception in this case, then that exception stands. So the Persian law could not be changed, but when you're dealing with divine intervention, then that's a little bit of a different category again. Yeah, so they were like, he's already been saved once. There's no point of us tossing him back in for the same thing to happen again. 
That's right. Yeah, fair enough. Yep. That makes sense. And uh, and so that would be the... I think it would be a very brave person in the Persian court who would suggest throwing him in there every <laughs> night because if you're going up against a God who is that powerful to be able to save Daniel on the first night, then every night that you throw Daniel in there... That God is going to have to step in and rescue him, and you're just going to be aggravating that God. And it's a bad idea <laughs> for the Persians, in their mindset, to be aggravating any gods. They want to be on good terms with all of the gods. This is Chelsea Moon with He's Always Been Faithful. Morning by morning, I wake up.
back to The Breakfast Show. Oh, what a show it has been today. Well, look guys, we're going to be back tomorrow morning. We're going to have regular programming. Lyle and myself will both be back bringing you The Breakfast Show right here on Faith FM. Um, now, if you've, had, if you've enjoyed today's program, if you've got any questions, I'd like to encourage you all to text in. That's text in our, our phone number, one 800 324 that's 1-800-FAITH-FM or you can send us a text at 0491-064-665 and we would love to get in touch with you and talk about whatever you like. Um, so yeah, we hope you've had a wonderful Easter holiday weekend and you've all been refreshed and blessed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ and of course we hope to see you again next time. Now guys, as we always like to say, don't forget to talk faith Act faith, live faith, and of course, you will grow strong in Jesus Christ today. God bless, guys.
Thank you.